This is UCD Business Impact, the new podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and indeed the world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, as we know, the cradle of this coronavirus crisis was Asia, starting in the city of Wuhan in China, and then it spread out very rapidly throughout the entire region, including infections in Singapore, Hong Kong, and large parts of Japan. So what has been happening there? And is there lessons for us back here in the West about how Asian governments and their peoples are handling this? A man who might know is Marcus Van Arenta. He's based in Hong Kong, and he's UCD's Overseas Academic Program Director in the College of Business. And he's now going to talk to us from a very tall skyscraper in Hong Kong. And he's a Finn by birth, and he has been living in Asia for many years. I can give us that Asian perspective, the voice from the East. You're very welcome to our Business Impact podcast, Marcus. Thank you very much. Thank you. And greetings from Hong Kong. What I wanted to start with really was a, a very simple question about your life, your lifestyle, how your working methods have changed since this all began a few months ago, what is the atmosphere around Hong Kong as a city generally, and what is the sort of the morale of the people? Um, How has that looked and changed in the last few weeks? Well, I mean, Hong Kong has the history of having had the SARS epidemic in 2003. We, I mean, I was here 2003 in Hong Kong when we had the SARS epidemic, and I think we learned a lot of valuable lessons in 2003. Uh, so when we had the very first two cases in late January in Hong Kong, immediately the whole of Hong Kong basically knew what to do. And so I, I was having dinner, Chinese New Year dinner with my Chinese family, two cases in Hong Kong, and uh, everybody was wearing face masks on day one. And everything changed. Schools closed immediately. The way people went about the business changed immediately. It was 100% hand washing, hygiene levels, unbelievably high. I mean, there was really no chance of getting infected if you had only two cases in Hong Kong, but that didn't mean anything. Everything changed immediately. And it's been that way ever since. If you didn't have that uh, folk memory of SARS and that recent memory of SARS, do you think the reaction would have been different? Or is there something in the population in that area that knows how to handle these things and has a different perception of personal hygiene and when healthcare crises hit, what do you it, it, it was, I underestimated the importance of that because I thought that when this virus got to Europe a lot later, I, I really thought, I really thought that uh, European countries could handle it like Hong Kong did. But uh, obviously uh, they couldn't, they couldn't. And it was both a problem at personal micro level of all individuals and also government policy and in preparedness. So everything was off in Europe, in my opinion. I mean, it was like watching a slow moving train crash and everything was going wrong. And I couldn't believe it because Hong Kong had been so prepared for this. And we basically got it right. The infection rate has been under one in Hong Kong ever since February mid-February. And uh, this is already a second wave of infections. We already beat this once pretty much in Hong Kong. And now when Europe got sick, we had all these returning students, returning tourists who brought the infection back to Hong Kong for the second time now. And again, it seems we're just about to 
beat the second infection rate. Just describe to me how your lockdown, if, if that is even the appropriate word, how it, how it operates where you are. We don't do anything really outside. Hong Kong is not in lockdown, so you could go outside. And now you can, you're allowed to go. I think meetings above four have been banned. Uh, pubs are closed, but restaurants are open. Uh, you could do a lot of things, but there's a lot of solidarity. People just don't do things anymore. Uh, even if it's not the law, uh, people are really determined to, to beat the virus. And it's been this way ever since the end of, end of um, January. So, I mean, yes, government policy has been okay, but I really think it's the mindset and the, the, the micro level act activities of all Hong Kong people helped us to, to, I mean, pretty much win the infection. If Hong Kong was now the only country infected, I think we could eradicate this, just like happened with SARS pretty much in 2003. Well, and, the two, uh, the two um, distinguishing features, and I, I, I ain't no expert on how Hong Kong has dealt with this, so I'm hoping you'll guide me through that, but from reading externally, the two distinguishing features that arise are you have a very aggressive testing campaign I think you're up to 15,000 tests per million of the population or something like that, which is pretty high internationally. And then also, if people are symptomatic or asymptomatic, either way, they go off for a hospitalization, which again seems to be quite different to the European response. So do you think those two elements are what have given you these low figures or, or is it something more broad than that? Well, I, I think it goes hand in hand. I mean, if, if, you, if you do get tested positive, you are removed uh, from your family pretty much and you go to the hospital into isolation that's true and the testing there's a lot of testing in Hong Kong but the way the testing is and the way it's working way it's made possible is the fact that there is no community spread or there's very little of that so we're able to isolate the clusters it never really got out of hand in Hong Kong so we've been able to isolate the clusters and then quarantine anyone around that um, so the reason why the government is able to do that is because people are being so um, smart in their own microactivities. And when you put these things together, you can contain the virus. In terms of social acceptability of the idea of people being hospitalized, even if they're asymptomatic, is that in any way controversial or is that just generally accepted as, as the I, I, out of this? I don't think we discussed that ever. It's not really a discussion. I do realize that there's a risk that if I meet the wrong person, and they happen to be tested positive, then I might get quarantined myself. Um, and then it will cause a lot of inconvenience, of course. But I don't think it's an issue. I think we're just really determined. I mean, in the beginning when this all started, we came, we came very close to... Um, we, we didn't know how deadly this virus was. Uh, no one knew, really, what was going to happen. And Hong Kong was basically staring a catastrophe. I mean, it was, it was a catastrophe to happen, first in Hong Kong and maybe then in the rest of the world. And uh, the attitude was just incredible determination. Everybody, that we're not going to get sick. Um, we're going to fight it. And when the infections you know, started in Europe, I remember Angela Merkel said, it's a new virus. There's very little we can do against this because there's no immunity. Sweden was discussing herd immunity. Um, Britain was talking about herd immunity, at least in some sentences. Sweden, I mean, and even in Finland, my home country, Finland, uh, there was a, I, I thought they gave up. But in Hong Kong, that was never really an option. It was never in the discussions. It was just we're going to fight and do everything um, at all, all levels. Just total determination to eradicate the virus. Um, but I think it, it really goes down to the SARS experience because Hong Kong was traumatized. I mean, SARS had 20% death rate in Hong Kong. And I remember it was, it was a very scary time. 
when you didn't know what was going to happen, we didn't know that it was going to go away. And, and that experience was so traumatic for Hong Kong that basically the same mindset just kicked in. Uh, and I think that's, that's what helped Hong Kong this time. And in terms of atmosphere, which one were, was the level of foreboding higher for this one? Or SARS, are they about the same, just from, from somebody who was there for both of them? It was really the mi- same mindset. But because the SARS, the death rate was so much higher, that was a lot scarier. It was, it was frightening. It was really scary. Um, this time, I think first one month people were scared. And then when the infection rates were getting lower and lower, I think people relaxed. But the behavior is still very much the same. Um, so, but if I don't use a face mask, I really can't go outside um, because the collective nature of the Asian societies just demands that everybody behaves accordingly. And really, if you see any people uh, any, uh, on the streets of Hong Kong, somebody's not wearing a face mask, it's probably some Western um, expat or tourist in Hong Kong who just makes a personal decision. But in terms of the Asian collectivist mindset, everyone wears a face mask, and that's that's it. Um, there's would no, that, would that no, Western traveler, unbeknownst, be sort of gently reminded they might want to get their mask on? <laughs> I mean, there'd be a couple of cases when I wanted to stop a person on the street and have that discussion. Of course, I didn't. It wouldn't be appropriate, you know. But they are in a different environment here. I was um, in um, early February. We were in the last holiday we had was in Japan. And I remember when the tour bus in Japan and that tour bus company had a Wuhan infected uh, guest in the bus the previous day. And then um, one of the guys got infected. And so everybody was wearing masks. The guys were in double masks on the tour bus. Everybody was worried. I was thinking, should we be on this bus at all? And then there was one other Western on the bus, an Australian man who just outright refused to wear a face mask because he thought that, you know, He's not going to get sick and he doesn't see any need for it. And the Japanese in their polite ways, they were just, okay, we have some face masks here for everybody. If you don't have one, we will give you one. And uh, polite and trying to suggest that everybody will feel more comfortable if you used one. But it was just a different mindset. I think the kind of individualism versus a collectivist Asian mindset, it takes you to a different place. And I've seen, um, I've seen mention of wristbands having to be worn by people quarantining or isolating at home. Do you, do you know anything about that part of it? Oh, yes. Yes. In Hong Kong, if you arrive in Hong Kong at the airport, you get a wristband. It's linked to a phone app and it, it tracks your movements in Hong Kong. And in the beginning, we have a couple of cases of someone wearing a wristband uh, getting arrested in a restaurant. And uh, uh, I haven't heard many of those cases recently, but in the beginning we had a few. And of course there, there are uh, quite severe punishments for that. See, that's, uh, where, that's where it's going to be really interesting from a European side is, is, is that a Rubicon that Europeans are prepared to cross if it is one of the better ways to combat the virus? It'll be really interesting to see how that debate evolves. It doesn't sound like it's, it's really a live debate in Asia, but it certainly would be a live debate in Europe. And that's the, the crucial difference. The, in terms of the virus, Hong Kong people have demanded uh, that the government takes a stricter position every step of the way. In fact, it's been the people who have forced the government's hand uh, as much as possible to make sure that the virus doesn't spread in Hong Kong. It was, it was exactly this mindset already on day one, when the Chinese border was still open. I mean, Hong Kong uh, is a part of uh, China. There's still a border in between. And uh, in the beginning, it was the Chinese New Year. So there was an expectation of 
millions of people traveling uh, across the border. And that looked like a, like a recipe for nightmare, a nightmare scenario to get infected because the, in the beginning, the virus originated from Wuhan. Uh, and the Hong Kong government was slow to close the borders. And people demanded that. And people demanded stricter policies. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's the people who are driving this. And they are forcing government's policy. Well, as you, know, a, as you know, yeah. the country is, at least for, it was in recession last year. I'm not sure on the latest figures. A lot of that was obviously a byproduct of the protests and so on. Now, you are an assistant professor in marketing, so you have a good, <laughs> you have a good yeah. feel for how business is reacting to all this. I see a lot of optimistic predictions about how Hong Kong is going to climb through the year and, and is probably one of the better positioned Asian and we used to call them Asian tigers. I'm not sure if that's still in vogue uh, locally. Yeah. But, uh, one of those very high growth economies is going to come through this uh, is a lot of the stuff analysis I've read. Do you, do you get any sense that businesses are well prepared for this? You've talked a little bit about how people on the ground have the face mask, yeah. have that, yeah. that, that memory of SARS and so on. How are local businesses yeah. and even bigger companies in the area coping? I, I think in terms of businesses, businesses are not prepared for this. And so, and Hong Kong already had the uh, democracy or the protest movement before this started. So business sentiment has been quite low for some time already in Hong Kong. And this is really a second, the virus is second blow to the economy. Uh, so in terms of business preparedness, I don't think we're very prepared to deal with the downturn in the economy. And if and when we overcome the virus, there's a very strong likelihood that the demonstrations are going to start again. <laughs> so then, I mean, there is no guarantees that the Hong Kong economy will do very well, even if we are in the process of beating the virus at the moment, as I see it. What are the sectors that, you know, would be under pressure? I mean, obviously you've got the well, retail and all that, but what about financial services? Are they going to be hurt in, in, the, in this period? I, I don't have much visibility into the final ser financial services, but Hong Kong, in terms of tourism, it had already pretty much uh, the cross-border tourism with China uh, it was in a lot of press because of the protest movements. And uh, ironically, I, and even face masks were banned in Hong Kong due to the protesters using them. It was a very controversial law about that. And so ironically, it may have been that the, as bad as the protests were for the economy, that might, might have been the reason why Hong Kong had, had limited the amount of Chinese tourists when the epidemic started. And that could have then prevented uh, or lower the corona numbers just by accident. Also, by the same token, people had face masks, <laughs> at least the ones who were using them in the protests. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, coincidence there that might have been bad for the economy, but maybe then slightly helped in the beginning of the coronavirus. But when this is over, I don't know. I'm slightly pessimistic about the prospects of the Hong Kong economy. Um, I would expect Hong Kong to maybe get still a third wave of infections later on this year. And what, yeah, what, makes you, what makes you think that even though you've got those measures that are by European standards, you know, extraordinary, you know, they're severe for too many European ears. But you think even with those in place, with the tracing, yeah. with the so, so what, testing, you still yeah. would have a concern that you could have more. Yes. So what we're having is uh, we have a very active border with China and China was successful initially in suppressing the virus, particularly in Wuhan with the lockdown. Uh, but China wants to open up, obviously. And so how does China then prevent the second wave of infections? Um, it's going to be really difficult. In a large country, how do you prevent getting a second wave of infections? And when the Hong Kong border with, with the mainland China opens up, uh, there's a big chance that Hong Kong will get a third wave of infections coming in. 
even if there's a quarantine measures in place, that will help a lot. Uh, but if you have a very large number of people crossing the border in the tens of thousands, um, it's very difficult to entirely eliminate the third wave, I think. So we have to see to what degree can we open the borders in Hong Kong. And there's a lot of political factors as well. Well, I think what you're, what you're, what you're really saying is we all just have to take it literally one day, one day, one day. There is not a lot of long-term planning possible, and that's not something we as a race are necessarily comfortable with, but that is the world, we, the new normal world we live in, is just seeing how it progresses. Each country is implementing a set of different policies. They're, they're slightly graduated per country, and we will build up a bank of information and data over time to see which policy responses were most successful. It seems at the moment that the Asian policy responses have been more successful. But as we've said in this podcast, it is a different culture and it is a different yes. relationship between the state and the public is, is radically different from the Western and, and particularly for us, European model. So seeing how that all plays out is going to be fascinating. But it, 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 let's not uh, desensitize ourselves to it. There are real, uh, real people <laughs> yeah. at the end of this. So while like, the likes of me and you are interested from afar in how it all works out, and um, we're all real people, and it will be it'll be kind of apprehensive to see how it works out at the same time from a human point of view. Do we get through this? Are we at the peak? Are we starting to flatten that curve as we say over here? Or is it something that we're just going to have lockdowns? They're going to loosen. They're going to then be reimposed, then brought back in, and we're going to have a succession of lockdowns. How destabilizing is that going to be? So nobody really knows, but we know that <laughs> uncertainty yeah. persists. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the Hong Kong model. Even if the Hong Kong history is different with the SARS experience, we had the traumas with that. I think we have perfected this in terms of how to get the infection rate under one. And uh, if any country is able to learn from the Hong Kong experience, it will, it will help them. And, but it also means that there's hope. There's a way of managing the virus, even if you don't have any medications or vaccines. There's a way of bringing the infections down. Yes. Uh, and if it works in Hong Kong, it can certainly work in other places. Uh, Hong Kong is the most crowded city of all, I think, uh, pretty much. And if we can, in, under these conditions, manage the virus, it should be easier uh, in, in Western countries, in my opinion, even if the culture is different. Well, okay. Well, um, listen, before the conversation turns back towards a more pessimistic view, I'm going to stop <laughs> hold you in place and leave yeah. you on a more upbeat tone than um, is always possible at the moment. So thank you very much for giving us the Asian view, the Asian perspective. <laughs> We wish you the best in Hong Kong. Good luck with your students. Good luck with the programs that you um, are offering. And good luck living there. As you said, people do tend to be very close together, but you have a very impressive medical establishment and medical policies that seem to be, at the moment at least, working very effectively. And thank you to you for giving us your perspective on business impact today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs>